Hello, amazing humans, and welcome to What's the Scoop on Scroop, an inclusive interfaith podcast that explores the intersection between faith and OCD. I'm your host, Reverend Katie O'Dunn, an ordained minister and interfaith chaplain who navigates OCD personally and supports individuals across religious and spiritual traditions on their journey with scrupulosity each day. This podcast focuses on the power of storytelling, empathy, and unity. And through our conversations, we'll create a space where diverse experiences are shared and valued. And where we always remember that faith and mental health do not have to be mutually exclusive. Join me on the first Monday of each month for captivating interviews with insightful experts in the field and inspiring individuals who share their lived experiences. And on the third Monday, I'll dive into different perspectives on faith, OCD, scrupulosity, and even taboo intrusive thoughts in faith communities, making sure to answer all of your questions. Together, we'll leave no stone unturned, exploring evidence-based treatments and taking a leap of faith along the way. So let's come together. Let's support one another. And let's begin to curiously ask the question, what really is the scoop on Scroop? Hello and welcome to What's the Scoop on Scroop? We are so excited to have a special guest here today, Dr. Emily Bailey, who is a clinical psychologist in private practice in Atlanta, Georgia, where she treats children, adolescents, and adults who present with OCD and anxiety disorders. She obtained her doctorate in clinical psychology from Mercer University. Her research interests include social anxiety disorders and attentional disengagement, therapeutic alliance, treatment-seeking behaviors, and parental influence on child psychopathology. While her clinical focus is individuals diagnosed with OCD and other anxiety disorders, she has experience working with diverse populations using evidence-based treatment, including CBT and ERP. Emily is passionate about helping her patients achieve a more meaningful, satisfying, and valued life, and we are so pumped to have her here. Welcome, Emily. I'm super excited to be here. I also just experienced imposter syndrome for about however long it lasted. <laughs> Welcome to my world. <laughs> I was like, that's not me. Who's she talking about? <laughs> that's me. And it's funny. We were talking about this um, on one of my Wednesday support groups this week. Somebody brought up um, imposter syndrome, and I yeah, and and I was I was literally like, oh yeah, I feel imposter syndrome the entire time I run this group. So welcome, <laughs> welcome to my world. <laughs> Embracing it, embracing it. Embracing um, but no, it. I'm so happy to be here. I think this is awesome. I'm ready to talk all things group OCD or whatever you throw at me. Bring it on. Awesome. Bring all of the, all the things. And um, so I'm excited for you to be here. I'm excited for everyone to hear more about you and what you do, but also your perspectives on, on OCD. And I think everyone will learn that Emily is also just a really super cool person. So this is going to be fun. Um, and um, I would love to just start by you sharing a little bit more about your background and kind of how you got into this work, what your work on OCD looks like now, all the things. Yeah. Gosh, I feel like that's a lot. Um, (laughs) My background with OCD and anxiety, I don't remember a time that I didn't want to work with anxiety, uh, to be honest. 
as long as I can remember, that's always been my goal is to work with anxiety and OCD. So when I went into my doctoral program at Mercer University, my first practicum experience was at Virtually Better. And that is a treatment center where we use virtual reality to treat anxiety disorders, PTSD, different phobias, things of that nature. And when I was there, and I was very green, and I was very new, um, I got my first two OCD cases. One was centered around musical performances. So similar to what we see in athletes with those like very rigid routines or superstitious beliefs that go a little bit too far. Um, and then the second one I saw was a six-year-old girl who had contamination fears. And I remember in that particular case, I was really overwhelmed by that initial severity and like, oh my goodness, like this small little child, how could she be going through such big things? And I remember suggesting off the top of my head, like, let's play follow the leader because I'm all about games and treatment. Let's gamify it. And I was like, we're in a band and we're going to make the coolest, um, coolest music ever. Let's go to the bathroom and we're going to touch everything. So everything I touch, you touch. I'm telling you, our band was pretty epic, but I think <laughs> in that moment, I realized um, just how much I love working with OCD and anxiety disorders because, you know, it highlights the scientific portion of this, this rigorous process in clinical psychology, where what we really want to do is we want to find evidence-based treatment, and we want to develop measures where we can really effectively identify people who have these conditions. Um, so understanding that gold standard treatment piece, but then at the same time, it combines that scientific piece with this creative opportunity to make individualized and this like really values driven exposures that, you know, are meaningful to the person and the treatment process. So it combines the best science of therapy as well as the art of therapy as well. And I'm, I think that's kind of what made me so passionate about OCD is starting a band in the bathroom with my six-year-old patient. <laughs> I kind of loved that. <laughs> it was uh, my my supervisor was like, "What are you doing in the bathroom?" I was like, "Don't worry about it." He's like, "There's splashing noises." I was like, "We're not worrying about it. It's fine." I love that. Well, and how did that? So, where how does that get you to to where you are now? What does private practice look like? And then you're also you're doing faculty work as well and teaching others how to do this awesome work, which is really cool. Why not add everything on top of it? Um, yeah. That's also a good question. I guess I forgot that piece. Um, so I went to um, for postdoc uh, to specialize in OCD and anxiety disorders. I worked at McLean OCD Institute in Texas. Now I believe that's the OCD Institute Texas. That's their new name. But um, I worked there for a year and really got comfortable with really severe cases, residential level, and you know outpatient level, IOP level. And then came back to Atlanta because I am a Georgia peach. I am from here and uh, started doing private practice here. So I see patients throughout the week. Mostly my cases are OCD, but I also love social anxiety. And I see a lot of other phobias as well. Um, and like you said, I am also at a university here right now locally in Georgia as well. So I'm starting that in a month. <laughs> so I'll be no pressure. I'll be teaching all about this um, and how to really also have other people become passionate about about treating others, but this integration of faith with treatment, because it is a component that's missed so much. So I'm excited because I think my role offers a great opportunity to just spread the word still. 
And it's cool. You talk about it with so much passion and excitement. Obviously, I'm already excited about this topic because I have a podcast on it. But if I wasn't, I feel like if you were someone teaching me, I, I would be like, yes, like, let's do all the things on OCD. Let's make a band in the bathroom. Like, let's let's do this. So I love that. Well, so, I mean, so this is a such a great and just, I mean, again, you describe it with so much enthusiasm. I, I would love, I, I know that um, I always say lots of folks, I think listening to the podcast or have, who have heard the first couple episodes know what OCD is, but I think we all describe it a little bit differently. So I would love to hear how you might define OCD and then more specifically, where does scrupulosity, where do um, subtypes around faith fit in with all of this? Gosh, I always use your ice cream example. So I'm going to have to like be creative here. <laughs> oh, and you totally can. That's okay. It's funny. I actually, okay, I'm going to admit something. Um, I recently, I didn't think, so what's the scoop on Scroop? I didn't actually think about it being scoops of ice cream until somebody oh, the other I day. Thought. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I was like, just what's the scoop? And then somebody the other day was like, wow, it's so cool how that like goes with your ice cream example. And I was like, yeah. Totally no, it's, yeah, I did it totally on purpose. So I've, yeah, it like totally fits now, but I had no idea that that even went together. Look at you just being awesome all around, <laughs> connecting all the pieces. Yeah. So OCD, gosh, I feel like whenever I explain this, I'm like, I just like keep repeating myself over and over again. But OCD um, is not a quirk. Um, I think media has done so much damage to what OCD looks like and uh, the severity with which it can happen. I think a lot of people see it as almost like a joke, like, haha, you like to clean. Um, and it's really something so much more than that, right? It's debilitating for quite a few people, um, more than quite a few. And obsessive compulsive disorder is composed of two different things, right? Obsessions and compulsions. Obsessions are those really intrusive thoughts, meaning they're not wanted. You, you don't like that they pop in your head. You're not willing them to come forward. They're just there. Those intrusive thoughts. And then um, there's the compulsions, right? And that's the behaviors you engage in to make the distress that's caused by the thoughts go away, or at least if not go away, reduce. Um, and so it can be, it can span a lot of different subtypes, right? The subtypes don't really matter. The content doesn't really matter. We treat it very similarly, but scrupulosity specifically is like, a subtype of OCD, and it really involves the obsessions and compulsions that span any and all religious experience. So in my mind, this isn't about one religion. This isn't just for Christianity. This is for anyone in any religious experience. And it emphasizes fear of acting in a way that's inconsistent with religious doctrine, right? Some Whatever that may be for that person. And it also may involve practicing in a really rigid way or in a way that is extreme compared to what the congregation or other people in that faith would would say is normal. So it could be fear of committing sins, fear of going to hell, being punished by a higher being, becoming possessed, and it manifests in ways that that trip trip a lot of faith leaders up, which it trips a lot of clinicians up too, where it looks like people are being really overly, like really, really devout and faithful. Yeah. And in reality, it's really, they're rigidly following rules and trying to pray correctly and checking their level of faithness to ensure something bad doesn't happen to themselves or other people or to the world, whatever that may look like. So again, that's kind of my short version. I don't know. You can ask me what follow-ups on that OCD question. <laughs> 
No, I, I think that's actually, that's such a great example. One, that it's not what we typically think of in the media as a cute quirk. And and two, how it latches on to so many things that someone cares about, including faith. And I love that you highlighted that for faith leaders uh, who might be really well-meaning um, or someone who might not know about scrupulosity, it might look like, oh, wow, this person is so devoted to their faith. They are so into this when it's really not about that. It's like them feeding the disorder, not actually doing something in a value-driven way. Right, exactly. And it's really based in fear. Fear, and it's not based in values. And that's kind of the distinction, is if somebody's doing it out of fear, like it can be impressive how devout devout they are, but it's not truly (laughs) devout in the way that we want it to. We want it to be meaningful and comforting and not not fear-driven. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've started even doing like charts where um, I, having kind of separating out practices into two buckets. And it, ironically, mm-hmm. the charts are like pink with sparkles. So I'm sure everyone, the uh, mm-hmm. clinicians that, I work with, that are- means people will pay attention to it. Yes, but. clearly. <laughs> but yeah, just being like having people literally list out, okay, here's what I'm doing because of fear, mm-hmm. guilt, anxiety, shame, all of this mm-hmm. versus meaning, hope. I am genuinely interested. I'm excited about this. And and those things are, are very, very different when you're actually engaging with faith versus almost worshiping OCD. Yeah. OCD, like you've said, hijacks pretty much faith in any, any sense of the word, right? Like it will hijack your faith and make you believe that what you're doing is the correct thing. And that if you don't do it, something's wrong, right? You have to calm your OCD down in some way, but it attaches to all all, all different types of values, right? That's why OCD is, can be so debilitating. It is, it attacks the most important things in your life, whether that's family, health, whatever it may be. And the faith concerns just go across subtypes as well. And I think what sometimes people don't realize is that faith in and of itself can also appear in other subtypes of OCD that doesn't necessarily relate to scrupulosity. And so it just gets so complex and so tricky but I'm also here to kind of want to, I just want to say that faith can, like, concerns about faith, right, that are driven by OCD pop up in all presentations of OCD. It doesn't have to be scrupulosity. Yeah. Oh, this, it's such a good point. And I hear from folks all the time, like, oh, wait, so what, uh, do, do I have harm OCD? Do I have religious OCD? What do I have? And it's like, it's all OCD. It yeah. just, this can fall across the board like the only limit is your imagination and your imagination has no limits really yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's true I just like pictured Spongebob being like imagination um (laughs) (laughs) what's so fascinating to me about OCD and I guess another reason I'm so passionate about it is there's multiple themes of OCD overlap at once that's why I think your point of like OCD is OCD is OCD is so so important because it creates more complex presentations, yes, but at the end of the day, we're going to treat it similarly. And, you know, it requires a more thorough hierarchy. It exa- it requires more examination of beliefs. But at the end of the day, if someone has harm and aggressive, intrusive thoughts, right, they can think, am I a bad person for hurting someone morally, right? Like, am I a bad person? Or what if I gave the incorrect, incorrect advice or incorrect scripture to someone and something bad happens and I was the cause of them going to hell or like, you know, what if, you know, I'm having these sexually intrusive thoughts and, you know, or I'm sexually involved with someone in the church and what if that's, you know, or whatever it is, 
yeah. OCD is going to latch onto it. There's going to yeah. be overlap. And so it's also don't get stuck in the nitty gritty. I mean, let your therapist do that a little bit, but <laughs> really what we need to do is we just need to really target the belief itself. What belief do you have and how is OCD hijacking that specifically versus what the rest of your congregation does? Mm-hmm. That is, that's so awesome. And it so feeds into treatment of being able to kind of lean into some of that maybe for the first time and challenge some of those mm-hmm. beliefs. And I, I would love to hear from you a little bit about what evidence-based treatment for OCD looks like. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, I steal from you all the time, a part of what you say, so I won't go ahead and say, but I, I, um, I, I would love to hear you. Yeah. Just talk a little yeah. bit more about this. Um, gold standard treatment is exposure and response prevention for OCD. Um, I often use acceptance and commitment therapy along with that, right? But exposure and response prevention in general is what it sounds like. You expose somebody to a situation that they fear, and then you gauge in response prevention. And that response prevention involves reducing or at some point trying to eliminate any of the compulsions that aid in the reduction of anxiety, right? The key is first like assessing the triggers, assessing the beliefs, assessing assessing the obsessions and the feelings of distress. Um, But ultimately, the first step is them understanding what OCD is, which is, again, what this podcast is so great about is it it starts explaining OCD, right? It normalizes what people experience with their OCD. Um, And then we create a hierarchy collaboratively, right, about what individuals fear. And we start at the bottom and we work up. Right. And that's just because I want people to gain confidence, anxiety and OCD. They take away your confidence. You don't think you're capable. You are so capable. End of the end of story. There's no question about it. You are so capable and OCD will lead you to believe you're not capable of facing those things that you fear. So part of it is I want to make sure they're doing exposures. Right. But the other part is we're starting small because you've been doing this a while. This has impacted your life in many areas. So let's work our way up. And so I'm assuming what you're stealing from me, which I don't even know where I got it, but <laughs> what you're stealing from me is um, small e, big RP. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I use it. I use it all the time. And yeah, I don't know where you got it from either, but I always get, I'm like, there's a really smart psychologist in Atlanta who says this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I my patients are probably like, stop saying that. Um, so <laughs> that means we're gonna start where it's manageable, right? Where it's possible for you to feel comfortable doing this exposure. We're not gonna start on the hardest thing and then expect you to refrain from compulsions. That's just setting you up for failure, and no no therapist should set you up for failure like that. Um, so we're really setting the bar low at first and working our way up so that it's more comfortable because what we're teaching our brains. If we don't consistently engage in response prevention, right? So if we don't consistently work towards diminishing or eliminating those compulsions, we're teaching our brain that sometimes we can do it and sometimes we still need it. And you don't. We want our brain to understand that we do not need that to feel safe and to manage anxiety. We can manage it in other ways. So that's, yeah, I guess that can be my quote. Small, small E. Yeah. It's, it's. It's a great one because, and I think it, you know, I was going to say alleviates fear and, you know, we're all about discomfort in this business, but, but I think it really does alleviate fear of folks who might shy away from treatment too, where it's not about, I don't know, doing the biggest possible scary thing and gritting your teeth. It's about really working with your clinician to develop a manageable hierarchy and really focusing on how do we, how do we not do the response? How do we not engage in compulsions? Mm -hmm. And that's very different from, um, 
I, I think early on, at least my understanding in my own OCD treatment, I was like, I'm going to do the biggest, scariest things ever. And then I'm going to ruminate about it for the next six hours. Oh, and why am I not getting better? And that's not, it's not <laughs> no, how it works. It doesn't, work. doesn't work. No. And I mean, honestly, you start dreading therapy. And I mean, not, I, I mean, I'm biased. I'm a psychologist. I'm like, woo, therapy. But <laughs> but I don't think people typically are like excited about going to therapy. But think about if you go to therapy and then your therapist is like, let's do the hardest thing. Let's go. Do it right. Don't do it wrong. Right? I mean, it creates just so many expectations that aren't realistic for patients. And people that are dealing with OCD for their life, like their whole life, right? Like people who are dealing with OCD for the majority of their lives have this very ingrained, right? <laughs> this is how I handle things. Um, we're not going to break that down in a week or two weeks Mm-mm. or with one hierarchy development necessarily. So I think you're right. Like, right. We want therapy to be approachable and not, we want it to be distressing, right? Because we're trying to show people that they can face the things they fear, but we don't want the act of going to therapy to be scary. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I love that you said it's, it's something, these coping skills that, that might not be all that effective that are feeding the OCD have been developed over, over a lifetime and it can feel really automatic and that's not Mm going to be broken down in a week. And, um, that's, Mm -hmm. I think so important. So, I mean, as someone gets into treatment, I wonder, um, if you have any examples and I always, it's funny because when I get into podcasts, I hate when people ask me this question because I'm like, okay, there's like every fear under the sun and literally the exposure is targeted based on what the person is fearing (laughs) and their core fear. But I wonder if, just from a scrupulosity perspective, if you could give an example of like an obsession and a compulsion that someone might be engaging in and some exposure on their hierarchy that they might be doing and how they might engage in response. Yeah, gosh. Again, like you said, I feel like this could be different for anyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really do. I, it's funny. Every podcast I get on, someone's like, what's an exposure for? And I'm like, well, let me think of 10 million things based on the person. But but literally yeah. anything that pops in into yeah. your head, if there's like a common thing that comes up for folks around Yeah. A lot of things that I see recently um, is just like this, this need to pray correctly yeah. or pray a certain way or pray a certain amount of times to ensure the safety of either... A, family members, or B, literal strangers, like people that are just out in the world or on TV, right? And so oftentimes, um, you know, I want to assess a little bit further about what's underneath all of that. Um, So treatment isn't just like, oh, this would fit. This exposure would fit this. Um, It's a lot more examination of what's going on. But um, it may be praying incorrectly. So um Praying maybe a more standard prayer where you're not listing out every single family member in your family, like to make sure that they're safe. Um, or it may um, not be saying amen at the end. Or it may be, okay, you prayed eight times in the past hour. Can we reduce that to two times or three times? Something manageable um, so that they're able to feel confident that they can do it, right? And oftentimes it's like, I'm going to do it with you. Right. I'm not going to let let you just do it on your own. It's probably also awkward for me just staring at you watching (laughs) this exposure. Like, let me do it with you as well. Right. And sometimes that's even the starting point. Let me pray wrong in front of you. Yeah. Let me mess up in front of you. Right. And um, I know for one particular patient, whenever they would watch the news um, and see car crashes, they would feel compelled to pray for those people 
Um, because they were like, well, if I don't, then like, what if I caused it? I need to make sure this is all right. And right. Sometimes he was like, we're going to watch news clips and we're going to try and refrain from praying right now. Right. We can delay it maybe a little bit later. We can like edit a prayer that will be more general at night so that you capture the people that you want in your life to be safe, but we're going to do it in steps. So I feel like I just gave you multiple exposures, but <laughs> I think yeah. it just varies, right? It's a spectrum. And so I don't know. You can ask me questions on that too, because I don't know if that was clear. No, it was. Those are such great, those are such great examples. And I love that you highlighted doing it with the person too. And mm-hmm. I think that becomes such an important thing because it's not just, oh, I'm going to make you do this scary thing. It's, oh, we're, we're in it, we're in it together. Um, and I I love, I mean, my, my favorite thing to do with folks on the, more the chaplaincy side while they're going through exposures with their clinician is we'll do practices around how do we, instead of praying for everything to be okay, how do we like shift it and say Mm -hmm. like, Hey God, please help me to sit with this uncertainty and this discomfort. And that can be huge. Yeah. And it's even like with working with kiddos, like telling their parents, like, let's all pray for like the strength to, you know, manage this anxiety, to manage the distress or the uncertainty that we're feeling. And it does, that shift can mean everything, right? Because then it's praying to God for comfort and for like, you know, a connection versus praying out of fear and wanting him to like God to do something or, you know, I need you to save these people. It's like, just help me. Like, let me focus on me. Help me manage my distress right now because I know my OCD is flaring up. Like, I know this is happening. And honestly, I think a lot of it is also going into ERP, correcting the myth or the misunderstanding that we're taking you away from your relationship with God or faith. Because I think people are hesitant to approach exposures related to faith or prayer or anything when they feel like that's going to drive them away from their faith and make them a sinner or something of that nature, right? The goal is not to praise or to worship OCD, right? And no one's doing that intentionally, right? But we really want to make sure that people recognize OCD is hijacking this. This isn't how people practice the faith. Here's the 80-20 rule. Like people in your congregation, 80% would not do this. So we're going to work on not doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, And really learning that we're just changing your relationship with anxiety. We're changing your relationship with faith a little bit. So it's practicing the tenets of your faith that you value versus the OCD skewed version that's extreme. And I I think it scares people. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. And I think, you know, there's all of these different layers to where it can be it can be really scary. Folks go into treatment and it's like, whoa, how could you possibly ask me to do something that opposes my faith? And it's it's not in opposition to faith. And I think that's really mm-hmm. important for folks to hear that it's actually about breaking down the OCD so that you can engage in your faith, so that you can mm-hmm. worship in a way that's meaningful and value driven and mm-hmm. authentic to you. I mean, that's yeah. so, so, so important. Right, right. And I think I think it's something that as a whole, sometimes clinicians miss the mark on. And sometimes it's like just very important that we have open conversations with our patients about it, is that we value diversity, we value other people, and we want cultural, we want to know what, what you experience religion as, right? And we also as clinicians have to know, okay, based on my knowledge of this religion, it needs to be tweaked a little bit, 
we're gonna we're going to make sure that this this exposure is within the realm of things that people do within the congregation Mm. right but we're not going to disrespect you or put you in a position where we're doing something in direct opposition to your faith or that could harm you like we're just not gonna do that um we need to facilitate a greater understanding of that right that these things just these things are contributing to your mental health we have to figure out a way so that this can be a protective factor in your life that this can be a place you get support and love and understanding and understand that component of you and why it's so important to you rather than seeking it out of fear (laughs) I love all of this and it feeds into, and you're already starting to, to answer this, but I was going to ask you kind of how treatment can be connected to someone's faith. And um, I, I like to say that this podcast is like kind of a, a dual purpose for me. Of course, I love this topic, but also a lot of the work I'm doing right now is how can we reimagine ERP as a spiritual practice as someone yeah. gets back to a relationship with their faith. And I think treatment can be really connected to faith. And pretty much everybody that's going into treatment right now is taking a giant leap of faith. Um, But I wonder how, how you feel about that, how those two things fit together for you. Oh my goodness. Well, I think, first of all, just to talk about like diversity and just like how we're culturally responsive within treatment. Mm -hmm. I think one of the main things is that mental health is complex and people are complex. We are not like a single facet. We're multifaceted people. And if we're not including all of these things into treatment, it's problematic. And that's part of what we're supposed to be doing as clinicians. I'm sure that's part of your work as well, is helping people understand that there's so much to them as people. There's so much more than their OCD. There's so much more than what's happening right now. That's really, really tough. And they are taking this huge leap of faith. And we want to provide them the support that we know that we understand them. Like we may not know exactly what they're going through, but we are going to do our absolute best to understand every component of them and identity that they have that will contribute to how treatment goes because of the leap of faith that they're willing to take. Right. Mm -hmm. So part of that is just like how an individual believes that their identity, whether it's religious or otherwise interacts with their symptoms and treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Is there positive things? Is there negative things? Because we always forget about the positive when we're in treatment. We're only focused on the <laughs> negative. It's also like bring out the positive, right? Are there ways that you, your identities, even your religion and scrupulosity, right? Is there ways that that's a strength? That this is a strength for the treatment that we're about to go into? And how can we foster that more, right? And those things... Are there different things that we need to discuss in the treatment plan where you really feel like this is something I can't do? This is what, not because I'm scared, but because it's truly my value and I don't want to do this. And how can we get supportive factors so that you can take a leap of faith that's really hard without feeling like you're falling down in the process? So, I mean, I, I think this cultural responsiveness, this understanding of a person's identity And what they are doing to get better is huge and so essential. And I'm so excited that it's what you're studying. And I kind of just want to talk about that. Um, But I know I can't, I'm not interviewing you right now. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are. Cause like, I know you're working a lot on this. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's it's so I, even hearing you talk, I'm excited because I know that we're doing uh, we're getting to do a training on cultural responsiveness <laughs> in in March, which we're super super excited about. Um, but I, I think you know it's it's so interesting. I I see so many folks from so many different faith backgrounds, and mm-hmm. it's I actually think of coming out of an interfaith chaplaincy space with students. I'm somebody who mm-hmm. believes that each and every one of these ways to worship the divine is uniquely and awesomely beautiful. And mm-hmm. my favorite part of, of people going through treatment is really watching them take a leap of faith in ways that that's mm-hmm. meaningful and authentic to them. And um, I always like to tell folks, I, I've never really to this point in work with OCD and pretty much all I do is scrupulosity all day, <laughs> every day. Um, it's all I talk about. <laughs> I've never seen someone move further away from their faith as a part of treatment. Mm-hmm. It's it's literally always been the opposite. Um, whether mm-hmm. someone is Muslim or Hindu or Sikh or Christian or Jewish mm-hmm. or Jain um, or Buddhist, mm-hmm. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Um, mm-hmm. Watching individuals take that leap of faith to stop worshiping OCD, they actually get mm-hmm. to get reconnected with the divine and their meaningful yes. faith practices. And mm-hmm. in that way, if we're defining a spiritual practice as something that brings us closer to God, to the divine, into the universe, then ERP kind of fits into that category. It does. It's And it's a different way. And I think you're pointing out this like individual way that you want to practice your faith. And I think that's something that's really big is there's not one way to practice each faith. Like it's something that's very individualized, just like treatment is very individualized for each person. And I really like that you bring that up because exposure hierarchies and just exposures in general are built with values in mind. And so I'm not going to, and that's why it's so tricky when you said like, you asked the question of like, give me an example of an exposure. I'm like, let me tell you about a whole patient and everything about yeah. that so that you understand this. But a lot of it is about considering the things that they value outside of what OCD is hijacking at that moment, right? So for example, if my patient really values music, right? Like they play the piano or the violin or whatever it is that they play and they're consistently still doing that, that's something that they enjoy. Can we take a like a little step forward and you play a song that's religious? Mm -hmm. Or can you join a choir? Or like, could we do something that you enjoy and combine those two things to make the exposure more meaningful and almost like encourage you to do it to a greater degree and not avoid that exposure. And I think for some individuals, we have to integrate religious and spiritual practices in ways that are unique. Some people think their religious practice is volunteering, whether it's a church or whatever it is, but how do we integrate that into your life in a way that fits? Oh, I love that. And especially on the chaplain side, you know, it's, I think so much about spirituality as really anything that is bringing someone again, meaning, hope, connection. And that can, um, my favorite thing with watching folks go through treatment and working with them is helping them figure out what does this look like for them, acknowledging that not every Christian or every Muslim is the same and there are differences in, um, of course, in denomination or in sector mm-hmm. and how, how you're raised or what your community mm-hmm. does. But there's also each person is their own unique person. And I've worked mm-hmm. with folks that for the first time realized, wait, I have been doing all of these things because of my OCD. And actually, I really connect with God by going out and walking in the woods and saying a really yeah. authentic prayer. Yeah. And that's okay. Like, that's okay. Yeah. 
There's not like a cookie cutter, like this is how I have to practice this religion, right? There's tenets that we follow that may be across the religion, but that means you can practice it the way that you feel like is most meaningful to you. It doesn't have to be what's most meaningful to parent or most meaningful to your neighbor down the street, right? It's finding the way that you feel like integrating religion into your life is meaningful. And it's not in a fear-based way. It's in a true, like, I want a connection. I want to build this faith because this is something I'm passionate about in my life. Yeah, this is this is great. And this this makes me, again, really excited that I know we'll be doing a training around this for clinicians wow. and cultural <laughs> We're going to Disneyify that one. We are. It is right. We are like all about doing case studies on Disney characters. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) It's going to be great. But no, and I think, I think it's just, it's an area of faith is an area people get scared of, not because faith is scary, right? But because it's so easy to feel like you may offend someone or may offend their practice. And if we go in with respect and acknowledging that everyone practices things differently, right? It's less likely that we're going to be offending people, right? We can check in for sure. But I think so many times it's shied away from and it's, it's key to a lot of treatment because even if you're not treating scrupulosity, even if we're just treating anxiety, just like social anxiety or whatever it is, right? Faith is a protective factor in in people's lives. And it's a great way to get support and build resilience and, and learn to, to trust or to lean into uncertainty. And so I think this podcast is going to help tons of people. Thank you. I'm so excited about this. I'm excited about this. I'm like, I'm excited about this episode um, because (laughs) you've done such a great job just explaining and making it, uh, gosh, not just explaining everything, but it feels, again, I'm already jazzed about this topic, but I feel like I would be jazzed if I, if I wasn't. Um, (laughs) But it's, it feels in the way that you're describing it, so accessible, where it's like, oh, it doesn't have to be this scary thing. It's actually really cool and exciting to do treatment and to figure out how do I connect with my faith in a meaningful, authentic way that is reflective of everything that's important to me and my relationship with God. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's it can get tricky, right? But that's why I'm there or another therapist there and your family should be there to support you typically, right? It's, it's a journey, but it's a, it's a worthwhile journey. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, your life will be so much more meaningful by pursuing things you value versus pursuing calming your OCD, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, calming your OCD, meaning doing compulsions, right? <laughs> <laughs> your life will have so much more meaning if you take a step back and recognize that your purpose in life is not to keep feeding your OCD so it feels better. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a great place for us to to start to wrap up. And I, I want to ask, one, if there's anything else that you'd like to share. We'll definitely have you back, by the way. This is a great like intro and you'll definitely come back and we'll talk more about stuff. But if there's anything else you'd like. Yeah, so, yes. Um, but I mean, also, if is there a takeaway that you'd like to leave folks with today on either your scoop on scroop or just a kind word for someone who might be going through treatment that it's like, hey, here, you can do it. So I, I wonder if there's anything else you'd like to share and any scoop on scroop takeaways. 
I really wish I had an ice cream scoop right now and like <laughs> physically scooping it into a cone while I was saying this. So if everyone could just imagine that while, <laughs> while you're listening to me. Um, gosh, OCD scrupulosity takeaway. OCD is is going to continue to present you with questions about religion, questions about faith, questions about anything you value that you can't answer and that don't have a solid answer. And these questions and thoughts that you have that keep coming up, they're not reflective of you as a person. And these thoughts are going to lead you to act in a way that makes your world smaller. And that's not something to be ashamed of. That's just kind of a fact that you're going to be attending to your OCD and not the world that's around you. And your world is going to get smaller. And that can mean not attending religious services for some people. That could mean not spending time with meaningful people in your life because you're worried about X, Y, or Z. That could mean isolating yourself in an effort to make sure that OCD is addressed mm-hmm. in an ineffective way through compulsions. You deserve, who have, and anyone out there, people with OCD, people with anxiety disorders, people who are experiencing scrupulosity or not, deserve a really meaningful and values-driven life that is big. And that is mean. That's meaningful. That's values driven, and not a world that's small. And so, I guess after my intro to my final takeaway, (laughs) (laughs) my final takeaway is really let go, let God know that whatever OCD hijacks, it's taking you down with that. So let's do everything in our power, even though it's hard in this moment, to make your world bigger and to make it more values driven. Hmm. Woo! <laughs> I love that. That is such like there's nothing better that I could say than that. So I think that is a perfect place for us to to close out with so much so much hope and just thank you so much for being on the podcast thank you for today. Having me. I mean, I like talking to you in general, but like this is just even more exciting level. <laughs> I know now, like we talk all the time, but now people get to hear us talk. It's very exciting. <laughs> I mean, one day our whole, all of our boundaries are just going to come down and they're going to hear our actual conversations. Just- <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> That's terrifying. <laughs> get ready for it. That's why you should tune into other episodes. <laughs> oh yeah. It, yeah. That's totally, it's totally going to happen. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so, so much. And yeah. thank you all so much for tuning in to What's the Scoop on Scroop. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you learned a little more about this scoop on Scroop. I'm sending you so much love wherever you are in the journey. And as always, I encourage you to stick with the ick and keep running towards your values as you move toward the big, beautiful, awesome life you were created to live.